Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Today is Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021. Coming up on Roller Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. It's election day all across the country. There are a number of races that we are following. Virginia governor's race, also the mayoral race in New York, governor's race in New Jersey, mayoral races in Atlanta, Buffalo, Rochester, uh, Minneapolis. They're pushing to create a Department of Public Safety, a new public uh, health approach to safety. Also, of course, uh, reparations on the ballot in Detroit. So we'll tell you all about that. Reverend Dr. William J. Barber uh, is joining us uh, with his uh, weekly segment. Today It's all about voting as activists continue to demand the swift passage of the Affordable People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, as well as the Freedom to Vote Act. Also, an update on Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr.'s condition after he was hospitalized for a fall yesterday on the campus of Howard University. Now, critical race theory, uh, all of this stuff is going on and blah, 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 blah. You got all these Repu- all these white Republicans are running their mouths. Well, we'll be joined by a journalist who is calling these the radical capitalists behind the critical race theory fear. 
really breaking down, folks, really what's driving this. President Biden announces his vision to tackle the climate crisis. We'll take a look at his plan to reduce methane emissions by 30% of the year 2030. And an Alabama judge is no longer on the bench after asking a black man if he was a drug dealer when one of his staffers purchased a new car. Hmm. And to commemorate the new Black Wall Street, the largest black-owned bank, One United debuts its Greenwood debit card. The owner of the bank will tell us how the card is rooted in his family's legacy. It is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star, ne Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Today is election day all across the country. We tell you all the time uh, how these elections take place, not just, of course, presidential races, but congressional races, uh, but also local and statewide races. Uh, that is the case. 35 states are voting for various governors, mayors, and as well as various new laws. Polls will begin to close in about an hour. Uh, there are several key races that we're watching uh, in Virginia. Uh, there's a heated race there for the governor's mansion where Glenn Youngkin, of course, who is a Donald Trump actor, like he is running against former governor Terry McAuliffe. Uh, of course, uh, in the lieutenant governor's race, you have former delegate Winsome Sears, uh, frankly, a black woman who should never be in office, who faces uh, against delegate Haya Ayala. Uh, whoever wins there will be the first uh, minority female lieutenant governor uh, in the state. God, I hope it's Ayala because Sears is absolutely a nut case. In Georgia, all eyes are on Atlanta. As the pressing question remains, who is going to be uh, the next mayor? Will the city see its first white mayor in more than 40 years? Poll after poll shows former Mayor Kasim Reed and City Council President Felicia Moore locked in a tight race for the two uh, top spots. Uh, if they uh, advance to that, it's going to be a runoff on November 30th. Some polls show City Councilman Andre Dickens, one of Reed's most outspoken critics, gaining momentum. Councilman Antonio Brown and attorney Sharon Gay are also in the top tier. The winner needs 50 plus 1% uh, votes to avoid a runoff. In Buffalo, the city of Buffalo is going to elect, uh, could, could they elect a socialist mayor? Well, it's a rematch between India Walton and four-time mayor Brian Brown. She beat him uh, in the primaries, but he was so offended by her running, he launched a write-in campaign uh, that with the support of lots of Republicans uh, in the state uh, as well, you have ballot initiatives we talked yesterday about in Minneapolis where they're voting on a Department of Public Safety. That's one of the issues. You've got constitutional amendments being voted on in Texas. And so a lot of races all across uh, the country. Uh, and look, people are going to read lots of things into all of these races. They're going to say it's about Biden, his coattails. Uh, it's going to say, oh, is Trump trying to make a comeback? All those things are going to be happening. 
Let's go to my panel. Teresa Lundy, Principal Founder of TML Communications. Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali, former Senior Advisor for Environmental Justice EPA. Michael Brown, former Chair of DNC Finance Committee. Glad to have all three of you here. You also have uh, races going on there in Philadelphia, right, Teresa? Absolutely. Uh, there's a lot going on. We have a lot of judicial races. Um, um, actually, uh, the, the PA Supreme Court race is another great one to watch. That's the one who overturned uh, Bill Cosby's case. So many things to watch. Also, District Attorney uh, Larry Krasner, who's progressive in his race, received tons of support. So, Well, first of all, when you say uh, that Pennsylvania State Supreme Court race is not just the Bill Cosby case, it also uh, all the drama over their decisions dealing with the 2020 election. Uh, where Republicans were attacking them, even trying to try to go to single-member districts across the state uh, to guarantee Republicans would control the state Supreme Court. Absolutely. And, and honestly, it took a collective effort from the Attorney General of Pennsylvania, who is also now running for governor and just announced a few weeks ago. Um, it, it took a collaborative effort in order to stop uh, those issues that were um, coming really, uh, really targeted attacks, not only to the Commonwealth, but more so to the the larger voting base city, which was Philadelphia and also Pittsburgh at that time. So um, obviously it didn't work. Um, but again, when we talk about judicial races matter, they matter. And in the case of Donald Trump and the, the takeover collective, um, obviously the results were what it was. You know, it is uh, one of the things, Michael, when we talk about elections. We, you know, we, we constantly say on this show, elections matter, elections matter, elections matter. Uh, and so much attention, obviously, is on uh, presidential races. That's where all the cable news, the broadcast news outlets. But the reality is more people are impacted by what happens uh, with city councils, DAs, judges, than really what happens in Washington. Absolutely. I mean, it was, uh those local races, I guess the down-ballot races, as some people call it, are extremely important. That really impacts folks' everyday lives. I mean, you know, it impacts your, your school if there's a school board race. It impacts whether your hospital will get more funding or whether the roads will have uh, potholes in them. Uh, it's really the everyday things that people um, count on in their, in their neighborhoods and in their cities and towns. But what's, what's disappointing, though, in off-year elections, though, Roland, when it's not when a president is not on the ballot, is people of color do not seem to have the same enthusiasm as they do for presidential races. Obviously, last year was about getting rid of 45. Okay, I get that. But this is also these races in Virginia and New Jersey and around the country are also important. And we need to stay mobilized. Like this race in Virginia right now is already a wider electorate than in 2020. So it's, uh, it's, you know, disappointing. We have to step up to vote all the time, not just during presidential races. Well, the thing, uh, Mustafa, that when we, we talk about uh, the, the point that Michael just made there, that's also uh, a reflection upon state parties, upon candidates, uh, having uh, a plan of action to actually reach those voters. Uh, and so what often happens is, I mean, there were complaints in Virginia from African-Americans at the McCulloch campaign and uh, the other Democrats who were running did not make a significant effort uh, to reach those voters until the final weeks when polls began to show they were in some serious trouble. 
what you also are dealing with is, and Michael's right, you're dealing with, uh, you know, these Trump people who have, uh, who want to be able to re regain the governor's mansion. Uh, Glenn Youngkin absolutely uh, is uh, supportive of Donald Trump. Trump is supporting him as well. Uh, Youngkin has already said that his, uh, one of his top advisors is Senator Rand Paul. We know who is completely nutso. Uh, but you have to have an actual strategy to reach those voters. And, and, and look, you got to give voters a reason to actually support. Uh, and that's really uh, important. You got to make the investments. Um, and, you know, you can't do drive-bys. You can't do parachutes in. You got to make sure that people know that they matter and that they are valuable to your campaign. And when you don't do that, it translates into less people actually coming out um, and, and supporting the candidate. And it's critically important in this moment because we're literally going to have hundreds of billions of dollars that are going to flow to the states, the counties, and local governments that we have the right people who are in office. So if, if you're thinking strategically, you should have made those investments early on. And, and now we also have to realize in our communities that we have power, that we have the opportunity to really flex. And through that flexing, we can make sure that we are garnering the resources to make real change inside of our communities. So that's why this vote is so critically important, even in this off-year election. And, and, and to that particular point there, uh, investment, Teresa, and, and look, I mean, we, we, can, we can say this ad nauseum every time there's an election cycle. And this is real simple. If you're a Democrat and you desperately need black votes, you make the investment. If you don't, you're likely going to lose. And then when you lose, I mean, look, if Terry McCullough loses in Virginia, don't come talk to black people. Deal with your own campaign. What was the level of investment that you put in? Resources. Uh, if you are in uh, Phil Murphy, uh, if you lose in, lose there. What did you do when it came to policies, providing contracts, things along those lines to African-Americans? Uh, you know, I participated in several town halls where black people there have said he's not done enough. I mean, we, we can go on and on and on with this. It, it just, it, it amazes me when, when we, we, this happens over and over and we just keep repeating ourselves. And I'm going to say it right now. If you're the Democratic Party and you know you need black voters, you've got Senate races next year, Wisconsin, Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania. Show me the money. Absolutely. I mean, uh, part of it is making sure the staffing reflects the communities that you want to serve. Um, and so I I've actually been making a diligent approach here in the Commonwealth because we do have U.S. Senate races um, that are coming up at the governor's race. We have also lieutenant governor's race and the attorney general's race. And I am looking at the landscape of their staff. I think sometimes the staff is kind of hidden behind closed doors. But I I've been making a crucial effort to some of these media um, platforms. Like, we want to see what the staff looks like. Because part of it is when we start allocating some of those resources and talking about policies that determine what black and brown communities actually receive, it needs to be reflective <clears throat> in the campaign. Um, and I think that's an early start. I think that's something early that every campaign can do. And I also think it's a track record of every individual who is running for a higher public office is to look at the makeup of their administration prior to them running. 
did you just make the difference um, early on or did you make it when it was necessary in the beginning? And I think if we, again, start hearing those, seeing those resources and also seeing what those policies come out, maybe, you know, then we can start really getting some policy that actually matters. Marco, it's, it, it, I think also it goes, staffing is important, but it also goes beyond staffing. Uh, and that is, and, and let's just be real clear, okay? Um, when you, I mean, look, you were on the DNC Finance Committee and I'm going to go ahead and say it, and I don't really care. On all of these campaigns, white folks control the money. They control the and, money. Okay. And when you start talking about media dollars, they go out and they hire basically white ad agencies, and they control the money. And when they control the money, let's just, and again, for people who don't understand the system, those agencies, how do they get paid? Media buys. That's why they love TV because they want to spend all the money on television. They don't get their 15% cut when a lot of the money is being spent on grassroots, door knocking, door to door uh, with organizations. They don't, because they think, no, just dump it all in television. And so that's what you're also dealing with. You're dealing with uh, this system where you have white folks who are in charge of the money. And what they want is they want black people and Latino folks to volunteer for campaigns, to Teresa's point, most of your paid staff are gonna be white. You have very few black political consultants who are running campaigns who, and if they add someone, oh, they're a senior advisor. Yeah, but do you have any decision-making authority as a senior advisor? And so that all goes into literally how campaigns are actually run, how they are structured. Um, you know, Roland, you laid it out. You're exactly right. And um, leadership has a lot to do with it. And, you know, Chairman Jamie Harrison has to really put his foot down with the local, state, and county chairs. I mean, obviously, he has to set the example here in Washington with his staff and his contractors. So then when he goes to the state party chairs and the county party chairs, he can say, look, this is what we're doing on the national side. I need you to do the same thing locally. We want everyone at the table to feel buy-in and more importantly, to get a piece of that economic pie. And frankly, when my father was chair of the party, he actually laid out that roadmap. It, sh it should actually be in the office. He shouldn't need to no, figure out- No, how to no, the no, 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 we gotta be honest, okay? The roadmap that your father um, um, developed that was born out of Reverend Jackson's campaign in 1988 and 84 with the help of Dr. Ron Walters, was obliterated by President Obama. Now, let, 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 let me be real clear for everybody. People out there like, oh my God, you blaming Obama. No, let me be real clear so you understand exactly what happened. Obama didn't need the black plan because he was black. And the problem is he allowed the DNC to move forward with that same strategy where they were like, we need to make these level of investments. You had, what people don't understand, the people who are watching, I need y'all to understand, there was a clearly defined strategy that lasted 20 years from 1988 to 2008 that required staffing, investment, all of those different things. Obama comes in, he obliterates the actual plan because People supported him because of who he was. Well, the problem is, I kept telling people, he only gonna be there eight years, y'all. Then what the hell's gonna happen when he's not there? 
That was one of the reasons why Democrats lost more than a thousand state legislature seats uh, during his eight years in the White House. And we're still we're, we are still suffering from that because that black infrastructure that was put in place. And let me say it again to people listening. Ron Brown, Reverend Jackson, Dr. Ron Walters and others. That plan has been severely diminished because the folks who were who were working with Obama, they figured we don't need to do any of that. We don't need to have the level of outreach uh, to black elected officials on the ground, to black organizations, because we got Obama. Well, guess what happens when he's not there? And that's where we sit right now, Michael. That's correct. And uh, you were right where it started um, in 88 with the exact people you mentioned, um, including, remember, Ron Lester was always a subcontractor as a pollster at the DNC. My father gave him to be a prime contractor. And again, that, you know, giving black folks a piece of the economic pie. And then it obviously worked for Clinton because obviously Clinton used that same model. Um, and you're right, it just got, it, it's, it's weird. When you have something that works and you win, why do you want to change strategy? I, I've no, I haven't understand that with our party. So I don't have an answer for you uh, why Obama decided not to use it. Um, I, well, I, because let's just be clear, Obama did not have any concern whatsoever uh, with the DNC. He allowed it to languish. Uh, and uh, when they got rid of, uh, uh, when they got rid of uh, Howard Dean, that was a bad choice. Tim Kaine was an awful choice to head the DNC. He was being busy being in the United States Senator. He didn't have time to run it. Uh, Congressman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, awful choice to lead the DNC. Uh, you had the same problems. And then they suffer on the state level. Mustafa, I, you know, I'm born and raised in Texas. There was a lot of enthusiasm uh, after uh, Clinton and Obama uh, were running against each other in Texas in 2008. They really thought, hey, this is going to restore uh, our statewide party. Not what happened. Obama goes into Texas, raises lots of money, then takes it back to D.C. No infrastructure. But people have to understand campaigns, successive campaigns are built on infrastructure, machines, staffing, all of those different things that you start up and you rev up. And what you're now seeing, what you're now seeing, of course, uh, you're now seeing groups like Black Voters Matter, you're seeing these external groups that we've always had really, of course, say we have to take control uh, of our politics and not just, not just allow it to be uh, run and dominated uh, by a party, but the money. Like, for instance, there were, there were a lot of people who gave boatloads of money to the Warnock campaign. There were, people who, uh, there were people who were saying, hey, don't send the money to the Warnock campaign. Send the money to Black Voters Matter because that money is going to go directly to the ground because if you send it to the campaign, those white ad agencies are going to be in control of more money just to throw at TV. Yeah, you have to build the infrastructure both internally and externally. And we know all the amazing work that's been happening externally, even with a significant uh, less, significantly less money that's been in that space. But we should just also call out the fact you can no longer treat black communities like they're a thought. <laughs> what I mean by that is y'all know the folks who get that 3 a.m. call and those who actually get the primetime call and the primetime amount of, of attention. So we can't allow our communities to be treated like that. And that means that you significantly have to put the investments in our communities and allow us to actually begin to help to 
drive the turnout by, because we've got the capacity now and we have the resources that are necessary. And we're seeing it play out throughout the supply chain, as everybody has said, from the contracting and subcontracting opportunities and making sure that we are building um, wealth and, and actually enhancing our capacity inside of our organizations. When we start looking at, um, again, these races uh, and we start breaking these things down, um, uh, Teresa, I, I, go, I go to power. Uh, Michael said earlier, uh, black voters, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, numbers dropping have to be engaged. And, and, this, and I think, again, what people have to realize, when we talk about money and resources, a lot of money is being put at the top of these presidential campaigns, but they don't filter down. You don't have the same energy uh, when you have uh, these local races as well. Uh, in Philadelphia, have you seen the third-party groups, external groups, really uh, stepping up and, and really locking and loading on voter mobilization based upon the issues? Uh, because that's really how it's going to happen. I mean, look, there's going to be a mid, there's going to be a 2022 U.S. Senate race next year. That is going to take local groups on the ground. Uh, driving folks to the polls and not just hoping people respond to TV ads and radio ads. You're absolutely right. The emerge of the idea of progressive groups, liberal groups have been taken in place. Again, Philadelphia is a democratic city. Um, Republicans absolutely can run, but they just don't win. So we just have to have that honest conversation unless it's a judicial race. But for every other race, we have been seeing progressive groups pop up you know, funded by millionaires and billionaires, um, also funded by just, you know, regular everyday grassroots individuals who may not have much money to put into that organization, but they have the strength in numbers. And so it's it's very crucial that, and I, and I actually said this um, before on another program, saying if the, the national DNC doesn't take um, priority into state committees and also city committees about what's really going on and how to really change the infrastructure and rebuild the Democratic Party, then I think we are in, a, a, again, a very um, interesting place where I think we'll start to see a lot of difficult outcomes that we're all going to have to accept for the next two or four years down the line. Well, uh, we will see certainly what happens. Again, a lot of uh, local races to pay attention to. We'll be unpacking uh, these tomorrow right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. we got to go to a break. When we come back, uh, we'll talk about what's happening on Capitol Hill, the usual BS from Senator Joe Manchin, House Progressive kind of like, uh, okay, whatever, dude. Uh, we're not going to sit in and keep falling for your okey-doke. Uh, also, uh, on today's show, a racist judge in Alabama booted from the bench because uh, even white folks in Alabama were like, yeah, this is a little too much racism. Now, you know that had to be a whole lot, him losing his job in Alabama. We'll cover that. Lots of other stories right here A Roland Martin Unfiltered. Be sure to download the Black Star Network app. Our goal, folks, we want to have 50,000 downloads by the end of the year. So please tell a friend, pass it on. Download the app to your, your iPhone, your Android phone. Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire uh, TV, Xbox Smart TV as well. And of course, you can support us, uh, our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support this show. Everybody who gives uh, during this hour, I will shout you out 
uh, personally right here on the air. And so if you give me a cash app, dollar sign RM Unfiltered, PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered, Venmo is RM Unfiltered, Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com, rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. And so um, next break, I'll do start those shout outs. We'll be back in a moment. saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where you going? My name is Charlie Wilson. Hi, I'm Sally Richardson-Whitfield. And I'm Dodger Whitfield. Hey everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, unfiltered. All right, folks, the protests at Howard University continue. Uh, well, the students there uh, have taken over uh, the, the Blackburn Student Center. Uh, we also have, have had an impact there. This is what Howard University sent out uh, a little more than an hour ago. Uh, says hashtag HU daily update. We're sad to report the occupation of Blackburn has led to an, an unintended consequence for the HU community. Due to the cafe being closed, some Sodexo workers have been laid off. We're committed to working with our students to avoid more repercussions like this one. Uh, also, uh, when we look at uh, what's, uh, what's happening uh, on that campus. Uh, you see the, uh, the support that's continuing for uh, the students. I'm gonna show you uh, in a second. Uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, actually uh, sent out uh, a tweet uh, supporting the students uh, in what they are doing. Uh, but she took aim at the company uh, that is involved with uh, uh, handling uh, the, uh, the dorms there. Uh, and so this is what she tweeted for 22 days now. Howard U students have been protesting subpar private equity managed campus housing. Corbius is responsible for these conditions, and it's another example of why we need private equity reform. I stand in solidarity with the students. One of the folks standing in solidarity with the students, Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. Of course, he has been released from the hospital after falling yesterday. Uh, they held him overnight for observation. 
and the 80 year old is doing just fine. His daughter Santita posted this tweet family. He's resting comfortably and doing well. We thank you for your prayers. Fighting for you is what he'll always do. His goal is to ensure the well-being of Howard U. students. Hashtag mission accomplished. Uh, when uh, this was a video that was posted uh, on Twitter uh, of Reverend Jackson with the hospital workers at Howard University Hospital. I want to express my thanks to the doctors and nurses at Howard University Hospital for giving me best of service. Yesterday, while walking after three-hour marathon, I said the president of Howard University has a fall. One of the uh, tendencies when you have Parkinson's is it affects your speech and your, and your uh, stability. So I fell, and I came to the hospital really more for a, uh, uh, a checkup than anything else. And so they did thorough investigation of all of my parts. I want to thank them again. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to get back to work now. I want to get back to meet with the president uh, of the university and meet with the students to work on reconciling the differences. I think that we were very close yesterday, and there are some outstanding points. We agreed that students were protesting in righteousness and the right reasons uh, should not be expelled from school. We agreed, in addition to that, that the students who are protesting uh, should be to be students. Somebody verified that they were students, not having matters interloping into the situation. Also agrees in a real sense that we would have uh, another point, yeah. A commission. Yeah, there, there will be a commission uh, because the names and the dates and addresses are very delicate. To be a commission to handle that situation. I also agreed to go to four or five dormitories with a group of students, inspect the 12 dormitories to see if there were any, any other things of out of order. I thought the person had a good spirit yesterday, the students had a good spirit. I'd like to finish that process because I think Howard, Howard University is the maximum opportunity. It's the top of the hill, it's not the hill, it's the top of the hill. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that video was posted by Mark Thompson. We appreciate that. And Reverend Jackson literally went uh, right back to Howard University involved in those negotiations with uh, university officials. Uh, one of the folks uh, who also uh, has been speaking uh, on this issue is Reverend Dr. William Barber. It's Sunday, he preached at Rankin Chapel. Uh, he joins us right now on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Reverend Barber, how you doing? I'm doing well, brother. I hope you are, and thank you for everything, uh, Roland. We appreciate all that you do, and so glad to hear um, Reverend Jackson. I was back in North Carolina when I heard about his fall and immediately contacted people, and I'm just glad that he's back and, and, and that he as an elder uh, is, is working with those students, and they're welcoming that. You know, it's a, it's a powerful uh, scene of community. You know, it's, it's very interesting, Reverend Barber, uh, as I, as I um, um, you look at what's happening, not just with this issue, but you look at what's happening uh, all across uh, the country here, when you look at these elections that are going on, uh, and uh, why activism still matters, why protest still matters, why let, uh, making sure your voice uh, is heard still matters. And that has a direct bearing on all of these uh, elections. When you are speaking to issues, that's what turns out voters. You're exactly right, uh, Roland. And when you don't speak to issues, uh, it turns off voters. You know, one of the things I talked to the students about the other day when after the sermon, I was there at my scheduled time to preach, and they requested that we come over and pray with them and talk to them. But we also, Roland, talked about how their consciousness about the wrong that's going on on the campus 
is also leading them to a deeper consciousness about housing in the country. You know, we have over a half million people who are experiencing homelessness. Uh, we have, you know, 41% of those, by the way, are black. And uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 7.4 million people are on the brink of some form of homelessness if they just have one or two things go wrong. And people want to hear those issues. It's amazing to me, Roland, how uh, sometimes our Democratic brothers and sisters run from what's actually polling popular. You know, I watched the other morning when, 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 when Manchin McConnell opened the Senate. You know, he had the nerve to talk about a 30-year-old whose rent has gone up the last three years. He talked about a guy whose uh, um, uh, gas has gone up and how if, if they didn't pass the Build Back Better plan, he would get a better tax break and be able to pay for it. Then I listened to my to Congressman Schumer, I mean, Senator Schumer, and he probably just talked about the numbers. He didn't talk about the people. He didn't talk about the faces. You know, and the truth of the matter is, Affordable housing, universal free care, health care for all, uh, uh, um, money for community college, free college, all of these things, the people want them. $15 minimum wage in a union. But you've got to put a face on it. And if you don't do that, then you get stuck and you allow somebody like Manchin to take over the debate and act as though there's this problem with the deficit, there's this overexpenditure. If you listen to Magic Talk, you would think we're spending $3.7 trillion or $1.7 trillion tomorrow and not over 10 years, uh, which is really what's going on. And in fact, we really ought to do $10 trillion, a trillion a year. And that could be handled with the tax on billionaires. And if you told people what that was actually going to do for their daily lives, you would get massive support from the community. The as we as looking waiting for these election results as we're looking at uh, what happens tonight, um, frankly, no matter what happens, whether Democrats win in Virginia or New Jersey, whether they lose, uh, this should be a dry run uh, for both of these parties uh, to speak uh, to poor folks, to speak to, uh, and I, we constantly hear this, and it, it is it is is ad nauseum. Uh, and, and President Joe Biden does this, and frankly, it's it's idiotic. The middle class, the middle class, the middle class, the middle class. The middle class are not the only people who make up this damn country. And so if that's right. the only group you keep talking to, and you just keep you never mention those who are below the middle class, they're sitting there going, Well, hell, do we matter? Exactly. And we just did a study. You 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 talked about it before. We just completed it called We're Waking the Sleeping Giant. And in that study, Roland, it said 40% of the voting population in battleground states are poor and low-wealth, low-income voters. Across the country, 30%. Now, think about this. Here we are in Virginia. I've been listening just like you, middle class, middle class, middle class. 43% of the people in Virginia are poor and low-wealth. 43%, 3.5 million residents. They have not heard their name spoken. 51% of our children are low-income. 44% of the women in Virginia, 1.9 million, 57% of people of color are poor and low-wealth in West Virginia. In West, Excuse me, in Virginia. 800,000 people uninsured in Virginia. 1.4 million workers who make under $15 in Virginia. So how in the world are you running a campaign 
and literally not speaking to 30 to 40 percent of the population. It makes absolutely no sense. And if you keep saying that, you're right, middle class people feel like they are they don't matter. And there's two ways people vote. One is they vote against you. The other is they just don't vote, period, period. And most of these states, most of these states, the number of people who just have stopped voting because they feel nobody cares about them, they never hear their name, their condition, could, could shift the margin of victory in any state, particularly like a Virginia or North Carolina, West Virginia, so forth and so on. Questions uh, from my panelists. I'll start with Mustafa Santiago Ali. Of course, uh, sorry, Michael, alphas get first dibs in asking <laughs> questions of alphas. So, Mustafa, go right ahead. Reverend, Reverend Barber, thank you so much for the work that you continue to do. Uh, I'm curious, and I know that you've been, been working on this. You know, how do we get these politicians to begin to do the right thing? I know that you've pushed Manchin cinema, and of course, a number of other folks who are also there on the state level to begin to move their policies forward in a way that actually resonate with everyday folks. Is there anything else additional that we should be doing? Well, I do think so, my brother. Thank you for that question. You know, regardless of what happens with this election, regardless of what happens with this BBB plan, that, that, is, that is a tremendous step. It's a step, but it's a transformative step. It's not the end of the journey. Uh, it should be much more, but we, but we are. It's an important step. And it's an important change in some of the things that are finally being addressed that we're saying we ought to invest in. I believe, if you look through history, that every there has to be a massive populist movement, a moral, what I call a moral fusion movement, and there always has to be a, a, a day, a, a, that's a declaration where people say we're not going to be quiet anymore. And so what we're doing, we're mobilizing that towards June 18, 2022, for the most transformative generation to transform the gathering of poor and low-wealth people, their allies, moral and religious and economists, for a, not a day, not a gathering in Raleigh or in Washington, D.C., just for remembrance, but a declaration that we are not going to be quiet, we're not going to have 40% of the voting population and nearly 50% of the, 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 the country constantly dismissed. Uh, and, and we're working toward that now, mobilizing towards it, and then we'll be organizing it afterwards to flex power. The second thing I think we have to do, you know, we played too much kid gloves with Manchin and Cinema. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to do a piece this week. In fact, we'll talk to you, DeMarble, about it. Why hasn't anybody just come out and said, Manchin, your policy and your blocking uh, the Build Back Better plan uh, is, in fact, a form of systemic racism and a form of systemic classism, and then showed the numbers. Everything Manchin has blocked since February of this year has had a disparate impact on black people. When he blocked $15 a union, he blocked 41% of black people from coming out of poverty. Lower. That's racism. If he, Either he doesn't know it, which is an incompetence, and if he knows it, that's worse. If you look at these bills that are being passed, proposed, the infrastructure bill, 89% of that money goes to white men. But if you look at the, the, the investment in, in people, uh, whether it's the child care, whether it's the child tax credit, whether it's the earned income tax credit, whether it's the money for affordable housing, that's where you have disparities. 
that's I mean, excuse me, that's where you have the possibility of having some some more equality. And if you look at those, and if he, anybody who blocks that plan is hurting black people and hurting poor white people, and it needs to be said, it's time out for us just saying, you know, voter suppression is a form of racism, or uh, somebody a cop killing somebody is unarmed as racism. That, they are, but you have to also name the systemic racism in economic and tax policies. Because too often people engage in it under those policies, but try to act like it's not racist. And if we were to do that, we could actually do more to build bridges between poor whites and black folk because we would be able to show that the same people hurting black people are hurting poor white folk and vice versa. Uh, Teresa, your question. Yes, Reverend Barbara, one, I am uh, an absolute fan of your work um, and the the continuous message that you have been putting across in order to bridge the gap for so many inequalities. Um, what can everyday people go or do, um, but more so go, I'm looking for more so like websites, social media that we can actually um, um, reach out and also engage in some of your efforts? If you would go to breachrepairs.org, www.breachrepairs.org, and sign up for the newsletters and sign up for the tweets and, and, and pull all of our studies down, you know, I'm glad you asked that question because we've tried to be more than just a bumper sticker movement and a bumper sticker, uh, uh, you know, phraseology. We actually have empirical data that informs our organizing. We have a study called The Souls of Poor Folk. Uh, uh, the state of poverty since the, the, the Poor People's Campaign. We have another study uh, entitled Unleashing the Power of Poor and Low-Wealth Voters. We just did one called Waking the Sleeping Giant. We've done one called Mall uh, uh, Economics is Good Economics. Uh, we did it with the Economic Policy Institute. We also have a, a piece there called The Third Reconstruction, uh, Ending Poverty and Low-Wealth from the Bottom Up, 12, strategic things we need to do are vetted by some of the best economists that says if we do these things, we can address systemic racism and poverty and ecological devastation, denial of health care, uh, the underfunding of our children's future and education, and it benefits the entirety of the society. These things are not um, just pipe dreams. The truth of the matter, when I, when I was in Rome, I was with two Nobel Peace Laureate uh, economists and uh, with the, at Vatican, and two, three things were said that we have to say over and over again. And you go to that website, uh, you can also click there and go to the Poor People's Campaign website. But the three things were said: number one, the the, the claim of scarcity is a lie. The claim of scarcity is a lie. Number two, the claim that we don't know how to address the issues of poverty and low wealth which impacts 60.9% of black people. 60.9% of black people are poor and low wealth. We have the ideas. What we don't have, what we, what we, what we don't have is, is consciousness. The scarcity is in the consciousness of this country, and that's only going to be changed by mass movement. So we want people to go there, read up, and then join up so that we can continue to mobilize uh, in this country. Well, uh, I'm gonna allow uh, Michael Brown to ask a question. Uh, we all feel sorry. For all, <laughs> we still we feel sorry for all Omegas. So, uh, Michael, go ahead uh, and ask this great alpha man a question. I'm sure Reverend Barber uh, does not feel the way you feel. 
about Omegas. Yes, he does. Uh, <laughs> 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 I ain't that saved yet, Doc. I'm just messing. Go ahead, Doc. <laughs> Reverend Barber, it's uh, always a pleasure. The um, Something we were talking about earlier, the challenge of how we get um, our people to the polls when it's a non-presidential election year. We seem to always have this this traditional dip on these off-year elections. What do you think we can do to try to combat that? Well, I'm probably going to get in a little trouble, but I'm just going to get in it. First of all, I think that all of our African-American elected officials need to run in off-year and in on-year elections like they have competition. I think too often in some of these places when people are in quote-unquote safe districts, they don't really put forth an effort, and that undermines the, the numbers that turn out at large. I think that I hope that there has been an all-out every person that could, that was elected, went to Virginia, for instance, in some way. But number three is we've got to get our people voting an agenda and not just a personality. Because if we keep staying with personality, we're going to be in trouble. And that's why we got to make sure that we are putting forth an agenda and organizing people. We call it, uh, we call it uh, um, uh, being a, a movement where people uh, vote for, with an agenda. We call it mobilizing, organizing, registering, and educating. Call it doing more. Let me tell you, tell you an example of what I mean by that. Um, um, uh, in, in the off-year election in Kentucky, uh, there was a Republican incumbent and it was a Democrat running. We never endorsed the Democrat. But what we did was we went even into so-called Trump County, five of them, and we talked to people about the agenda and, I, and, and what needed to happen to change their lives. And said, don't so much vote for the person, vote for the agenda, vote for, push your own agenda, vote in that way. Three of those counties that have been so-called red counties turned, and the governorship changed. Uh, we never endorsed the governor. We never came out and endorsed the governor. But what we did was we promoted an agenda. Uh, in, in, in North Carolina, you know, we talk a lot about Georgia, but people forget after the Moral Monday movement in North Carolina, not only did we win against voting, but we were able to mobi- we were able to bring the, the governor that was sitting, the Republican, numbers down to about 39%. We were able to turn out people because we had same-day registration. So we didn't have to register people and then vote. They could go and vote the same day and register. But by pushing people around an agenda, we were the only Southern state that had that won a Democratic governor, Democratic Secretary of State, Democratic uh, Attorney General, Democratic leaders of the state Supreme Court, and broke the veto-proof uh, legislature so that they can't pass all these crazy laws because the governor has enough veto power to stop it. So we have to drive folks to the polls around agendas and not just personalities. And that's the work we've got to do. And it's got to be work that we do among black people to conscious, white people to conscious, you know, brown people to conscious. I want us to never forget, for instance, when the, the march from Selma to Montgomery was probably the most diversified march of the, of the civil rights movement. Think about that. And at the end of that march, Dr. King said something that I think we ought to analyze again and again and, and appro- appropriate. 
He said that the reason that we have segregation and voter suppression, he said, was the fear of the Southern aristocracy, their great fear of the masses of poor Negroes hooking up with the masses of poor white people, joining around an agenda and voting in such a way that they changed the economic architecture of the nation. That has always been the fear of the elite and the, and the, and the racist uh, aristocracy in this nation. That's their fear now. That's, what that's why they're trying to drive certain people home and make them stay home. And we cannot do this personality by personality by personality. It's got to be what energizes folk is the agenda. All right. Reverend Barber, uh, you mentioned the upcoming event that y'all are having. What's that again? Well, uh, we're going to, let me just say, we're going to be back in West Virginia on Monday. And we're going to take a group of economists, including Jeffrey Sachs, renowned economist. He's, he came back most of and said, look, I want to go to West Virginia and tell these folks how they're being used. And he wants to go right at this foolishness that manager has been talking about, uh, about he needs stuff, you know, uh, uh, what he scored and, and, and about the deficit. And so we're actually going there. And then uh, I got something I want to tell you a little later, uh, Roland, but uh, I've had about uh, over 100 West Virginians say, you know, they're sick of this and they want to come back to D.C. So we're um, working together on that. And then on, on Thursday night, you can tune in online, the Poor People's Campaign, the Institute for Policy Study and the Economic Policy Institute. We're doing a piece called What's In It, What's Not In It, and Where Do We Go From Here? It is a full analysis of this VBB bill, disaggregated by race and geography, so that people can really understand what's in it, what's not in it, and where do we go from here. Thursday at 8 o'clock, you can go to our website and tune in. Well, it sounds like you need to have a whole bunch of people in mainstream media watch that because they spent too much time focused on the process and the number and not what's actually in the plan. That's, that's, and you know, Roland, except for you and a few others, that's been the, that's the media's fault. They, the same thing they did with Trump when they allowed him to come on and have all this airtime and never checked him and built him up. It's the same thing now. They, they talk about this plan. They're not talking about who it impacts. They're not talking about what's in it. And they're not allowing this question to be asked. It's not a, what does it cost if we do it. The real question is what does it cost if we don't do it. Oh, and by the way, I'm leaving tomorrow going to uh, Brunswick, Georgia, uh, with the the, the, the Marsh family there and Barbara Awan and, and uh, Wednesday and Thursday because we can't let that case either just kind of slip off the off the radar screen. Um, that was a, a you know a stalking, a killing, and a hunting, uh, and there must be serious consequences to what happened. All right, then, Reverend Dr. William J. Barber, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. God bless. Take care, man. Yes, sir. Thanks a bunch. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We'll, we come back more. Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Uh, let me give a shout-out uh, here uh, real quick uh, to Talton Hall. Uh, thank you for your contribution. Also, uh, Tommy Williams, thanks a lot. Jacqueline Crowder. Yanantin uh, Desta, Brandon, Antonio, Nor Norminke Holmes, uh, Joanna Moore, Joel Clark, Shirley Williams, 
Uh, thank you so very much. Let's see, am I missing anyone? No, that's it. So if you want a uh, personal shout out, supporting our Bring the Funk fan club, just uh, hit us up, cash out, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. Uh, of course, uh, PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo uh, is RM Unfiltered. Uh, then again, cash out, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal, R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zell, Roland at RolandSMartin.com. Uh, so, uh, Folks, going to a break, and certainly want to thank uh, Nissan and Buick and Amazon for being partners with us here at Roland Martin Unfiltered of the Black Star Network. Back in a moment. Oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger. That's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. Really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision. An SUV built around you. All of you. Once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. But really... Who has time for that? Let's go. Feeling myself. I'm feeling she myself. ordered herself a ladder with Prime one day delivery. And she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince, well, who cares? Prime changed everything. Hi, I'm B.B. Winans. Hey, I'm Dolly Simpson. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, uh, y'all have seen all of this stuff by critical race theory. You've seen uh, right-wingers out here lying, just making stuff up. Uh, just, you got people showing up at school board meetings, acting a damn fool. Uh, and, and, but, but just so you understand uh, how crazy this whole thing is, you, you have to understand when folk are constantly hit with lies and how they can't even tell you what the hell critical race theory is. Uh, so... Watch this video. The folks with the good liars did this video talking to a man in Virginia, okay, who says CRT is the most important issue until he's asked, what is it? Okay, watch. What's the most important issue in the governor's race here in Virginia? Getting back to the basics of teaching children, not teaching them critical race theory. And, uh, and, and what is critical race theory? Well, I'm not going to get into the specifics of it because I don't understand it that much, but it's something that I don't, what little bit that I know I don't care for. And, and what have you heard that, that you don't, well, that you I'm don't not, like? Well, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't have that much knowledge on it, but okay. it's something that I'm not, that I don't care for. What's the most important issue in the governor's race here in Virginia? Wow. I don't care for it. I don't know what the hell it is, but I watched Fox News and they told me I, that I should be against it. Conservatives have led to bans all across the country, Idaho, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, uh, Iowa, New Hampshire, Arizona, South Carolina, literally banning something that, that doesn't even exist in their schools. 20 other states introduced legislation that would restrict or eliminate it in schools. The origins, of course, the anti-critical race theory movement 
are unclear, hmm, but a team of researchers discovered billionaire, uh, one of the Koch brothers, one has since died, were funding research and campaigns against critical race theory uh, through all of the various uh, groups that they fund. The Uncoke campus team has done extensive research on how this divisive campaign intentionally spread like wildfire. Joining us now, right now from D.C. is Executive Director of Uncoke, my campus, Jasmine Banks. Jasmine, glad to have you on the show. Now, he, now here's what I find to be real interesting, uh, Jasmine. And first of all, people were referred to the Koch brothers, but one of them died last year. Okay, so, but the one who is still living, he's given a shitload of money to the, United, to the Thurgood Marshall Fund, okay, targeting HBCUs. Yet, that's what the left hand's doing. But then the right hand is over here driving the very things that target black people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that's a question that folks often ask me. And, you know, I'm from Oklahoma and Arkansas. I'm here in the South. And there are plenty of folks who um, fly Confederate flags that support policy that disproportionately is anti-Black, but claim they have Black friends. And citing um, funding, you know, the United Negro uh, college Fund, Thurgood Marshall, um, you know, the Koch Network has been incredibly strategic at identifying folks within um, identities that they can use as shields um, against criticism. And so part of our analysis at Uncoke My Campus is really encouraging folks to adapt some rigor and to look at the material outcomes of their investment. Um, what is the percentage of no strings attached funding being provided to historical black colleges and universities versus uh, think tanks, advocates, academics that actually deepen structural inequity and keep us from realizing progressive futures that would disproportionately advantage uh, black and non-black people of color. So that really is what we always invite people back to a place of curiosity about. Um, and the evidence is that disproportionately they are funding white nationalists, neo-Nazis, um, going all the way back to the Tea Party and beyond. And the policy recommendations that they advocate for, as well as the idea production within the academy um, and within their lobbying branches, disproportionately erode the climate, um, put communities of color at risk, and pad the pockets of corporations that are already run amok and destabilizing um, our, our attempts at realizing a truly inclusive democracy. See. The mistake I believe the media made here, Jasmine, is that they, they always fall for the okey-doke, where some BS is created by the right, and then they call mainstream media out, and then they go, oh, we got to talk about it, which is exactly what they want to do. What y'all are doing is exposing, actually, how the thing, thing all came about. That's one of the reasons why I haven't wasted time having, well, let's really explain what a critical race theory is. No, that's what they want. Christopher Rufo wants you to book him on the show because when you book him on the show, he now has infiltrated your booking process and your editorial plan. That's their strategy. Yes, it's a comms cultural tactic. You get entrenched. Um, we we see when our elders and ancestors and you know across the Black liberation diaspora movements taught us that 
racism ultimately is a distraction, right? It's, it's, it's a moment where we're, we're defending our humanity, where we're trying to make a case. Um, and, and while we're busy doing that, folks who are opposed to our liberation are out there building political power. And that's exactly what this moral panic has done. It has destabilized school systems um, on the national level. It has shifted narrative and conversation. All the while, Coke-funded lobbyists have been working overtime on both the grassroots and the AstroTurf level to uh, keep Biden's agenda from being realized, one that could actually create some structural change, provide some social safety nets, uh, re, re, uh, you know, reinvigorate trust in our economic process and our democracy. Um, so it really is, it is a, I keep telling people, we're getting hoodwinked, y'all, like we have to, don't be bamboozled by this disinformation loop cycle with, by the way, media sources that are often um, also connected to Coke funding. And so it really is um, this really powerful disinformation um, um, loop that we have to really speak facts and, and stop meeting them at this, at this place where we're explaining away what the threat is and we're naming who's calling it a threat in the first place and who is a threat to ultimately, um, which are corporations, uh, the ultra wealthy, who don't want to see um, us realize the things that we've been striving for since and before uh, the civil rights movement. Really is, is about they hate everything about diversity, about inclusion, about equity, about race. That's their whole strategy, which Rufo said before, let's just dump everything into the critical race theory bucket. So therefore, anything applies. Now, all of a sudden, let's go after these textbooks. Glenn Youngkin going after Beloved in Virginia. Now you have uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Let's take these textbooks, these, these books out of the classroom. They already want to change the, change the curriculum because what they want is they want to maintain the illusion of whiteness, of white supremacy in our textbooks, in what is being taught, because that's how they have been able to control. Yes, it ultimately goes back to this psychosocial, and I would even say, I mean, I know Reverend Barber has um, named this as well, so this like psycho-spiritual component of white anxiety and white terror. And, and the limitation- I call it white fear. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and the limitation of, of the white imagination that their kind of identity politics is a very specific form of white identity that the, the most terrifying thought is that we will do, communities of color will do to white identities what has been done to our people, a kind of dispossession, um, a lack of abundance, um, a lack of political power. Um, and, and the reality is that in, in the kind of inclusive democracy, in the kind of economy, in the kind of like global movements that we're trying to see realize, there's room for white folks who care about justice. There's room for uh, white people who, who dissent and disagree. Um, but this subjugation and ultimate destruction of the black identity so that uh, wealth for the ultimate elite can be maintained is unacceptable. Um, and, and that includes our indigenous uh, siblings who, who also who are part of that legacy as well. The panel, first up is Mustafa Satelgo Ali. So how do we address this power and privilege dynamic that's currently going on uh, with the investments that they've been making in the misinformation? I'm sorry, it broke up. <laughs> Technology. Mustafa, ask, ask the question again. I was saying, how do we address 
the power and privilege dynamic that is currently going on when they're making these significant investments uh, in disinformation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with with Uncoke strategy, our first call is to disrupt their their political strategy, right? Which is them deeply investing in universities with strings attached. Um, we need to see students and faculty folks in the academy who do not want their institutions leveraged for this radical right, right wing strategy um, to hold their universities accountable. Then we have to organize, right? We have to see the same sort of generous funding of the solutions and the kind of beautiful. Uh, you know, beloved state and and more just future that we want to see across our multiple movement sectors. Um, but ultimately, it's it starts with divestment and, and following the money and understanding the true landscape. And, and Uncoke organizes uh, students, educators, uh, community stakeholders every day um, to, to do just what you what you said, which was to check the power and to really under, help administrations see how they've been captured and how they're being used as these image laundering institutions to obfuscate um, ultimately what Charles Koch and his cadre of wealthy uh, right wing donors have been doing for over 50 years now. Michael. Hi, how are you? Hi. I, I'm curious on what your thoughts are. Uh, related to kind of this disinformation conspiracy theory folks that think, oh, there's, a, there's, a, there's another side to the Holocaust, or slavery really should only be in a couple pages of a chapter of a book, of a history book. What do you, I mean, we know it's relative, Roland mentioned earlier, it's kind of this white supremacy agenda, but how do you combat that? How do we combat those people that, that believe there's a, another side to the Holocaust, or the slavery really wasn't that bad. I mean, folks had jobs and they had a house. I mean, what's the problem? Yeah, yeah. Well, the reality is those folks are in such um, group think dynamics. Um, we see this with QAnon. We saw this with the Tea Party. We've seen this with other... Um, you know, corporate cults where there's this level of concentrated information and enculturation where it becomes this internalized belief system. And so deprogramming is really important. Um, showing, not telling is really important. Um, maintaining our calm and not, um, you know, uh, ridiculing and being and, and, and coming with a kind of openness that can allow us to okay. those engage in civil society dialogue. Um, that's really, really important tactic in, in that space. That is a long game, though. Um, if anyone has ever seen, um, you know, folks who have been in these disinformation propaganda, like, even again, thinking about QAnon in this political moment, those folks need to be deprogrammed. Um, we also need to be making sure that part of our movement work is building sites of belonging um, that are irresistible. Many of these people have also been dispossessed, and, and, and the gag here is that the Coke network has been utilizing um, automated sites of belonging, like the very radical evangelical conservative movements, um, to to be, become attractive to these folks. So what places are we creating belonging where we can be inviting these folks in, where we can be having conversation, and where we can be providing political education that really acts as a buffer and deprograms against these kind of belief systems? Teresa? One, thank you for um, 
the vision of actually putting this executive, um, by being the executive director of this organization, because believe me, I have seen my share of communications that has been coming from this organization. And it, believe me, as a communication professional, it's like I, I continuously have to explain uh, the deprogramming of critical race theory and, and not having people think that, oh, slavery really wasn't a big deal. It actually presented structure. I'm just like, whoa, buddy. So um, what can we do? And I love asking these questions, especially with executive directors. What can we do in other cities and other states to ensure that we are also helping to put forward the same vision in other cities and um, states if, since you maybe don't have the capacity right now in terms of resources, but that's a whole nother issue we need to divulge in. But what can we do as the everyday person um, in order to help your efforts? Yeah, well, of course, we're, we're like most uh, Black-led organizations, we're tiny and underfunded, but folks are using our resources. So any people that you can send our way who want to volunteer or fund us or resource us, um, invite us in the coalition spaces. We love talking to folks. We have brilliant students and educators who are doing brave work, who are being you know, targeted every day by these sort of things. Um, but in your, own, in your own places and spaces, making sure that you're building out coalition and sharing our reports um, sharing our toolkits, um, as well as just naming that that this is an actual billionaire scheme to create disinformation so no one holds them accountable for the wealth that they are amassing unchecked on the backs of Black Indigenous folks, um, not just historically, but in this moment. Um, and I think that motivates folks, right? Like the, the Koch Network a couple of months ago um, had this groundbreaking story that Jane Mayer uncovered where the For the People Act, they had done a market research themselves to see if, if the billionaire, taxing billionaires and checking billionaires' um, impact on our elections was favorable, and they found that it was favorable. So they were going to do the, quote, under the dome tactic to gut the For the People Act because our communities disproportionately wanted it. So unifying messages that speak to actually the people on the ground, we are more united than we've been in a very long time. It's a disinformation campaigns, and it's the moral panic outrage of very few number of actors um, that are creating this dissension between our communities. Um, so those are some ways that, that you can step up and, and support our work. All right, then. Jasmine Banks, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, going to a break. We come back, we'll talk uh, Black and Missing uh, right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Also, uh, President Joe Biden's climate uh, plan, will it reduce emissions? That's next on Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network.
Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. What's up, y'all? I'm Will Packer. Hello, I'm Bishop T.D. Jake. What up, Lana Well? And you are watching Rolling Martin Unfiltered. <laughs> All right, folks, um, we uh, often we talk about uh, folks uh, who are black and missing. Typically, they are uh, young folks, but that's uh, not always uh, the case. Uh, David Derrick uh, Scott Sr. Uh, has been uh, missing since September 1st. Again, September 1st. He's 5'9", 145 pounds, salt and pepper, uh, hair color, brown eyes. But again, missing from uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, if you have uh, any information, folks, uh, about him. First of all, he's 61 years old, uh, last seen uh, last Wednesday again in D.C. Uh, if you have any information uh, regarding him, uh, call D.C.'s Youth and Family Services Division, 202-576-6768, 202-576-6768. In the trial of the three men accused of murdering Ahmaud Arbery, the attorneys hope to begin opening arguments by Thursday. They only need to agree on four more potential jurors to get to their goal of 64 so they can begin the second phase of jury selection. Travis and Gregory McMichael, along with William Roddy Bryan, are charged with chasing and gunning down Arbery while he was jogging in a South Georgia neighborhood uh, two years ago. Former Louisiana police officer faces a federal indictment for kicking an arrested man in the face and head, then lying about it. Uh, Jared uh, DeSader uh, was arrested, DeSadia was arrested uh, last year on state charges involving Timothy Williams, who sued him and the other officers in April. DeSadia faces two counts, willfully depriving an individual of his right to be free from unreasonable seizure and witness tampering. DeSadia faces up to 30 years in prison for both charges if he is convicted. Folks, an Alabama uh, lawyers are pushing to clear the names of Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. posthumously. Civil rights lawyer Fred Gray says their convictions remain on the books. He says an effort is possible to clear their names after another civil rights pioneer, Claudette Colvin, a former client of his, requested a judge to expunge her arrest and conviction records last week. Both Parks and King were arrested several times during the height of the civil rights movements. Gray, again, was the attorney for both of them, actually all three. A new interactive Juneteenth Museum is set to open in 2023. Juneteenth commemorated when troops arrived in Galveston, Texas to free remaining enslaved uh, folks two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. President Biden made June 19th a federal holiday uh, this year after Opalie and others led a campaign guarding more than a million signatures. The museum will have educational programming about the legacy of slavery and how African-Americans overcame its obstacles. And so, uh, Pretty cool, pretty cool, pretty cool. All right, let's talk uh, public policy here and, and climate change. Uh, a big uh, announcement was made uh, with uh, President Joe Biden uh, and other world leaders on what they are going to do to address uh, emissions uh, in uh, the world. Now, Biden laid out his new initiative to combat climate change across the globe at the UN Climate Summit. We're proposing two new rules. One through our Environmental Protection Agency that's going to reduce methane losses from new and existing oil and gas pipelines. And one through the Department of Transportation to reduce wasteful and potential dangerous leaks from natural gas pipelines. They have authority over that area.
We're also launching a new initiative to work uh, with our farmers and our ranchers to introduce climate-sparred agricultural practices and reduce methane on farms, which is a significant source as well. And this is all part of our new methane strategy, which focuses on reducing the largest source of methane emissions while putting thousands, thousands of skilled workers on the job all across the United States. All right, folks, uh, Biden's methane emissions reduction action plan will push oil and gas companies to more accurately detect, monitor, and repair methane leaks from new and existing wells, pipelines, and other equipment. The agency estimates, first of all, the EPA estimates that the, the rule will cut 41 million tons of methane emissions from 2023 to 2035. Also, uh, deforestation is an issue they raised as well. Let's go to Mustafa Santiago Ali, of course, uh, who worked at the EPA, uh, works with environmental justice. So walk us through this. What does this really, really mean, uh, uh, Mustafa? What can it change? How could it impact us? Well, it gives us an opportunity to address the 2.4 million miles of fossil fuel pipeline that we have running across our country. Methane uh, warms up the planet faster than carbon does. So it gives us an opportunity to get those fugitive emissions under control. And it also gives us an opportunity to address the flaring um, because many of those uh, facilities are actually located in our communities. So as we are making sure that we're getting our arms around and capturing this methane. It also helps us to deal with the co-pollutants, which also in many instances uh, have significant impacts inside of our communities. So this gives a, a step in the right direction. There's lots of other pieces of the environmental and climate platform that have to be addressed, but having both our country and other countries signing on to address methane uh, is a gives us an opportunity to move in the right direction. Uh, what we are seeing here, um, uh, Teresa, uh, is an effort by the Biden administration to, to undo the disastrous um, reign of Donald Trump uh, and his lackeys. Uh, I mean, they simply just cut everything when it came to the EPA, when it came to the environment, uh, to pull us out of the Paris Accord. And in fact, the Supreme Court is going to be taking up a, a, a case that will question whether the EPA can regulate companies uh, and these admissions. I mean, we're talking about uh, a, a, a serious issue here where conservatives, they don't want any control whatsoever. They don't want any, uh, any regulation. They want to do what the hell they want to do, damn the planet. Yeah, and that's always a problem because I feel like the they're, they're not focused on, you know, the next generation or the, the generation now. I mean, if the climate change hasn't been a uh, front face issue in terms of the random wildfires, you know, we're still experiencing, especially up in the north, um, springtime and summer and, and months where it's supposed to be cold and the little signs that nature has shown us that it is time for a change. And so when we see Republicans, you know, who have probably had over 50 plus years on this earth and has enjoyed it, um, not thinking about the rest of us, the rest of us that are in these communities that have to live with these type of uh, pollutants. And so it, it's interesting that when they say Republicans, when they say that this, they, they, they care about, you know, being conservative with their spending, but they also care about um, um, the future and what that looks like. I feel like they really miss the ball when it comes to prioritizing the health and welfare of black and brown communities. 
Uh, Michael, I, I, I still believe that one of the things that has to happen, and, and I am not convinced that um, political leaders have actually done this. That is, they have not, to me, properly connected environment, life, and jobs. This is what I mean. The kryptonite in America against anything is, oh my God, this is gonna cost us jobs. It's gonna hurt the economy. You have to have a counter to that and it has to be repeated over and over and over again. That's how they are able to kill many of these uh, climate change initiatives. Yeah, and they, they have, um, they've mastered it. They realize that it's so much more complicated um, to talk about and define climate change, how it's man-made, um, what the consequences are, rather than saying, oh, no, it's a hoax. It's not a big deal. We lost, obviously, four years under the previous administration of doing nothing, as you, as you uh, have mentioned um, and the other panelists have mentioned. And now we're at a point where uh, some of these activists that were over in Scotland have already started making statements that this, I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is like the 26th meeting like this of world leaders for climate change. And they're saying nothing's been done for what uh, the public officials in not just in the United States, but countries around the world seem to be uh, frightened to deal with the business community because the business community there would have to change their business model to be able to put to do what needs to be done to save our planet. And obviously they contribute to campaigns and it makes it very difficult for folks to stand up to folks that are helping to fund them. Um, I, I mean, absolutely. And this, I mean, Mustafa, again, when we, we, we were talking about this, this battle, and we're talking about this constant deal, I mean, that's, that, that's the battering ram they use. Jobs, jobs, this is too costly. It's gonna cost us jobs. And of course I hear the argument, well, with no earth, it doesn't matter about jobs. But there still has to be a way to connect to the minds and the hearts of the individual uh, who are being impacted by climate change. And I, and I, I just think that as, as somebody who, 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 believe, who knows climate change is real, it's still a matter of being able to message that to get somebody to go, oh, damn, not see what you're talking about. Yeah, well, you know, they've been using that false narrative that you have to choose between jobs and the environment for years. They did it when we uh, when they said that we need to get lead out of gasoline, and they said if you do that, you will kill the car uh, industry, and that was proven wrong. And they said that, you know, if we began to address it rain, that once again you would kill the economy. Both of those issues were dealt with, and at the but, same but, 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 time... But hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Mustafa. Has that been put into a 30-second or a 60-second ad? Has, no. Because, here's, because again, I'm, I'm showing juxtaposition. They said, if we require seat belts and this, all the big three automakers would go out of business. Safety. Acid rain. This. Pollution. This. See, to me, it has to be, it has to be, again, the attention span 
uh, of Americans is short. And, and again, I think progressives love issuing white papers as opposed to knowing how to communicate in 30 and 60 second sound bites. That to me, I think, is, is, is just also what has to be a different way. How you communicate to the masses to get them to go, oh, dang, you're right. Well, that's what I have to do. When I go into Appalachia, everybody see what I look like. I got locks. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a man of color. So I have to be able to have conversations with folks about all these new sets of economic opportunities. And then I have a conversation about climate. So, you know, we're having these sets of millions of new jobs. But what does that actually mean for somebody who lives in West Virginia or Kentucky or Ohio or Western Pennsylvania? And when we begin to unpack that, because people can understand that they've been working with their hands and their minds for years down, whether in the closed down steel mills or they were coal miners or whatever the occupations may have been that are disappearing, that folks then their, their minds start to open up. But then you gotta also make sure that those jobs are gonna be sticking around and you gotta make sure that people are gonna get paid at a level that, you know, that helps them to be able to take care of family and put a few dollars into savings and you know, those different types of things. And then people start to actually pay attention. And then you can also tie it to the public health things because there's a couple of things that actually get people's attention. One is jobs. The other one is the public health. And then when you can tie those into what's going on around environmental and climate issues, you can have a conversation in lots of parts of the, of the country. But, you know, a lot of folks don't take it that way. They want to have conversations about parts per million and parts per billion which mean absolutely nothing to Mrs. Ramirez or Mr. Johnson. So you know what? So, so you, you, you're in the communication space. So I'm just wondering, again, um, uh, a lot of people may not remember, there was a great actor named Yule Brenner. Uh, he was a big-time smoker. And this was a commercial that was put out that, man, hit folks in their face when it came to tobacco. Watch this. The late Yul Brynner. I really wanted to make a commercial when I discovered that I was that sick and my time was so limited. I wanted to make that commercial that says simply, now that I'm gone, I tell you, don't smoke. Whatever you do, just don't smoke. If I could take back that smoking, we wouldn't be talking about any cancer. I remember that, and that hit a lot of folks uh, in the face. And I think you gotta put a face on this climate change issue. Uh, that's one of the things that Reverend Barber and the Poor People's Campaign, uh, that they do effectively. Uh, they don't just talk about this issue in sort of this esoteric or this sort of detached way. They put the people front and center to convey the issue, Teresa. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right. When it comes to getting to the American people under 30 seconds, it has to be very clear and concise. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. And it's unfortunate because people are just dumping money into white papers. They're dumping money into social media to an extent, but it's more so they're making people almost like self-educate themselves when people are just like, well, just tell me what I need to know. I mean, if we look at companies back in the day, we had, you know, Cancer Society of America, we had Coca-Cola. And I believe the, the, the transition, even as we saw the Coke 
industry, product industry even advanced and how the various uh, messaging uh, was even related. So if we look at, you know, uh, different brand ambassadors from celebrities, from athletes, and how it relates to a, a Coke bottle, just for an example uh, use, it's it's amazing because people then said, you know what, if Kobe Bryant's drinking Coke, um, the late Kobe Bryant's drinking Coke, then I'm going to go grab a Coke. So, again, we have to, again, as you said, Roland and, and um, Mustafa's put a face to the, the, the issue and not, the, you know, and, and necessarily the product, but I think putting the face towards the issue and make sure there's a targeted approach. So money has to fund these type of opportunities. And so, you know, looking for the federal government and the state government to do their part to make sure that the message is out. I think we've had a lot of confusion during COVID, and that's because money was absolutely split in terms of what message they wanted to get out there and what message they wanted to hold back. So we can't let this happen again in this um, in this area of uh, issues for the American public. I'm going to close it out this way. A lot of y'all were not alive when this commercial dropped. This commercial dropped in April of 1970. Uh, it may need to be updated. This dealt with the environment uh, and a Native American. Watch this. Some people have a deep, abiding respect for the natural beauty that was once this country. And some people don't. People start pollution. People can stop it. Michael, that was called the, uh, the, crying, uh, the crying Indian. Um, I know you mentioned you were trying to date all of us on the commercial. But I actually uh, um, barely remember it. Let me just put it that way. I barely remember it. <clears throat> but I also remember... Mike, how old are you? I don't want to say. I've been lying about my age so much, I really don't know how... No, nah, I bet you remember that commercial more than any, the three of us do. <laughs> I was... I was, what was that point? I, I was born in the late 60s. Mike, this was this commercial was April 22nd, 1960. I know. When, I know. I was barely speaking at the time. Um... Uh -huh. But also, I do remember the Smokey the Bear commercials as well, which talked about fires and being careful when you're out in the woods. And those were, you know, more in the 70s and 80s. But you're right. These kind of public service commercials, you know, I don't know. How, you know, I guess the, we'd have to see whatever the study was 10 or 15 or 20 years or 30 years later to see if those commercials made a difference to people or not. Uh, I'm not sure. All right, folks, uh, got to go to a break. We come back. Uh, did y'all see this video where Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson just got schooled? Oh, my God. It's a delectable video. We'll show it next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. 
Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger that's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. You really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision. An SUV built around you. All of you. Once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. But really, who has time for that? Let's go. I'm myself. I'm she ordered herself a ladder with Prime One Day Delivery, and she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince, well, who cares? Prime changes everything. I'm Chrisette Michelle. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, y'all. Uh, you know, it's it's always interesting to watch these congressional hearings where you have these folks. We're going to try to get to guess. Well, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, he thought he was really going to put this law professor in her place. Um, but he didn't quite know what to expect when she fired back about the issue of social media being biased against folks on the right. This, folks is just gorgeous. I'm just, I'm just pushing back and challenging the fact that this is you know, something that is fomenting right-wing conspiracies and highly uh, advantageous to the conservative movement. I would say, if anything, it's more likely it's, it's you know, from a political realm, advantaging left-wing ideology. But again, I'll, I'll come right back to we have a constitution that protects free speech. Who, who, who is going to regulate that fairly in an unbiased fashion? It's just not possible. And along the way, we're violating people's constitutional rights. Anybody want to just to take a stab at that I would that be one? happy to respond to that, that yes, we do have a First Amendment, we do have a right to free speech, but we also know, of course, that private companies are not obligated under the First Amendment to take all comers. They are allowed to make their own decisions about what is considered to be high quality or low quality content. They can make any number of decisions, and I think we would applaud them in many cases to make those decisions. As we were talking about just before in terms of non-consensual pornography, I, for one, am very happy that Facebook has made the decision to say that that is not welcome on their platform. When it comes to the questions of conservative versus liberal bias, this is not a preconceived notion that I am suggesting here. This is not about intuitions or impressions, although I know that those can go in many different directions. This is about what the data actually suggests. The data actually do indicate that right-wing content is more amplified on these social media platforms than left-wing content, and that right-wing content is more disproportionately associated with real-world violence. Not hurt feelings, not people being upset, but in fact, actual violence, actual armed insurrections, actual notions of terrorism and anarchy. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Johnson. Uh, Senator Ossoff, you are recognized for your questions. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Ms. O'Neill, based upon your experience reviewing the uh, algorithms underpinning many of these... That's called uh, Miami law professor Mary Ann Franks just spanked my ass. And Teresa, I got to go because I just got embarrassed. 
he went to the back to talk to the technical guys like, hey, I need you to cancel this footage right away. But look, Dr. Franks did exactly what's supposed to happen during these hearings is to educate because a lot of times, you know, staffers are not prepping their elected officials to the fullest extent of the questioning. They give them the questions, but don't really receive the answers. And about time it's time to go out there on the main stage and, you know, Dr. Franks was ready to educate them. He just wasn't ready. And again, if you're not in that space, then how do you, how are you able to even articulate um, what you would like to do um, post that hearing? Uh, you know, they always want to play the gotcha moment here, Mustafa. Uh, and she just like, just, just go sit your ass down, Ron Johnson. Yeah, you, you, you may remember, you know, when people, your grandparents used to say, I'm about to take you to the woodshed. That's exactly what just happened to Ron Johnson. You know, he should have known better than to even ask that silly-ass question, but he decided to. I've been in plenty of those hearings up there, and they play for those gotcha moments, but he got got instead of thinking that he was going to be able to get her into that position. So, you know, big, big, uh, big kudos to her for actually handling her business and, and making sure that those false claims were being called out. Well, but and they love playing the victim, Michael. Oh, they're attacking us. When the numbers show, Facebook illuminates right-wing stuff. You go to the top 10 most uh, uh, shared stuff, it's Dan Bongino, it's uh, Ben Shapiro, it's Breitbart. Uh, we know how they play the algorithm games. Like, stop it. I, I say this all the time. Conservative victimhood is like, uh, everyone's always against us. Give me a break. Well, <clears throat> I just like how, how Dr. Franks couldn't wait to answer the question. And I think she said, oh, I'll handle this one. And she did handle it, obviously. But, you know, Ron Johnson, just like a lot of these wacko um, right-wing uh, Rep Republican elected officials, they're really performing for both one person and a particular base. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know, I, I, don't, I don't follow him on Twitter, but I bet he sent out a tweet. Yeah, I took it to Dr. Frank. She, I, I stood up to her and I told her what was what. And, you know, that because they don't care what we think, they being the Ron Johnsons of the world. They just care what that one person who used to be president thinks and his little base. And so that's, you know, that's what that's about. And I'm glad Dr. Franks set him straight, set him straight enough he had to leave. <laughs> yeah, he had to say, yeah, I got to go. All right, you know, I got to go to break. We come back. We're going to talk uh, the nation's largest black-owned bank uh, and a new car they have. Next, next, the Roller Martin Unfiltered.
Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. Hey, I'm Amber Stevens West. Yo, what up, y'all? This is Jay Ellis, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. One United Bank is the nation's largest black-owned and FDIC-insured bank. The bank's connection to the original Black Wall Street and civil rights goes back generations through uh, its chairman and CEO, uh, Kevin Cohey, whose great-great-grandfather won 40-acre allotments for freedmen. Those allotments fueled black wealth in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's here to explain how One United Bank is continuing its legacy with its new Greenwood debit card. Uh, he's coming to us from Chicago. So, Kevin, glad to have you here. So what is, the, what is this Greenwood debit card? What's the basis of it? Well, the foundation is to build on the success we had in Tulsa, Oklahoma, with the Greenwood community. As you know, that's the best example of what black people can do when given a fair opportunity. It's the only place in the country where we got our 40 acres and a mule. And because we got that 40 acres and the mule, we had the wealth to build out Greenwood, which is an example of what black people could do when given a fair opportunity. So uh, what will this debit card actually do? It will magnify the success that black people had in Greenwood by a million times. It's, that's why we call it the new Black Wall Street. Well, the internet has given us the opportunity to organize as a people. Black America and its allies can come together to build political, social, and economic strength in our society. We've always known, our leadership has known, at least back to slavery, the importance of us being organized in terms of affecting change in society. We just could never do it. The internet gives us that opportunity. So it makes the best chance there's ever been in history for black people to make that money, to actually get rich. This car brings us together. It's a framework for bringing black people and their allies together so we can do everything from share information to become more financially literate. One of our goals is to make financial literacy a core value in black America. It's also to encourage us to do business with each other, to make us aware of the opportunities for us to do business with each other and for us to work together each other, with each other. So it's, it's the new Black Wall Street is all about using technology to organize us as a people to create true power in our society. So, uh, so, so with this debit card, I mean, so it, who will be able uh, to access it? Um, are any proceeds going to uh, the Greenwood uh, group there in Tulsa where they're trying to rebuild there? I'm just, just curious in terms of uh, what is actually uh, I, I, you know, happening in terms of with that. And you mentioned financial literacy. How are you going to do that? Okay, well, financial literacy, you can see our example of our work, work on Juneteenth Day. We put together a, a, a virtual financial literacy con, uh, uh, 
program called One Transaction. That was over 100,000 people signed up for that program. There's 35,000 people still active in the program, and it was rated very highly. People say it changed their lives. We, we played that role. See, for Black people, we don't have that person in our family who can provide us with the guidance and information on how to conduct our financial affairs. And that's one of the real disadvantages that we suffer from. But One United Bank, is, in addition to the largest Black-owned bank, a company like Google rated One United Bank as the top Black-owned technology company in the United States. And, and an example of what we were able to do is, is to put together, to bring celebrities and other personalities from, from the financial arena together in this virtual conference, which was free. And we, uh, as a good friend of mine said, we, we put it where the goats could get it. We explained in plain, simple language the things, the transactions that people needed to do to create wealth. Here, more than just hard, it, 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 you, you, what we actually expect people to do is they'll have the physical car, but the car will be uploaded into their phone so they can always have it with them. And so it's a state-of-the-art financial product. It's backed by customer service systems that we own and built that have fully implemented artificial intelligence. So it gives a black person all the services you, you would get at from the, the state-of-the-art financial services providers. So everything from getting paid two days early to auto-save programs to elaborate award programs, to bill pay programs, all of that technology built into your day-to-day -day life and designed in a way which is to give you the information so you can get rich yourself. It also allows us to do organized, organized participation in everything from political objectives, i.e. you want to raise money for a particular candidate, as example, to to participating in the build out of all kind of projects. So, so it, it's uh, well, United Bank is a is a FDIC insured financial institution that provides you with all the benefits and access to modern financial services, but also acts as an advocate. Uh, and you know, the, you know, really, I'm carrying on the work of my great great grandfather and bringing the 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 ideals and concepts and tools for building the new Black Wall Street uh, to, to uh, Black America today. Questions from the panelists. Mike, I'll start with you. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Cohey. Good, good work and congratulations. Um, the, the bank you have, I know that I know you're basing it a lot in, in technology, but for folks like us, for example, in D.C. or folks who are in New York or California, can they access becoming a customer to your bank? And if they can, how? Go to oneunited.com. You can take your phone right now, go to oneunited.com and become a customer of One United Bank. Uh, you know, banking as we grew up with this whole concept, and by the way, One United Bank does have branches. However, branch banking is as dead as disco. It's a wrap. That's over. It's, so, it's, it's, it's slowly being phased out over time. And so we, we created the, this business. We, we initially started buying banks with the idea of buying all the Black-owned banks and bringing them under one physical umbrella. But with technology 
clearly won out and financial services are going to be provided by technology. And you'll start to see more and more things that you've never seen before, like the opportunity to refinance your mortgages one or more times per month, if you will, because of the access of different opportunities. Technology is creating a whole new world of financial products. We're encouraging our community that we have to understand how to be effective. In, to be effective in life, we have to embrace technology. You have to embrace technology because there's so many tools and opportunities that are simply not going to be available in a non-technology-driven world. Mustafa? First of all, thank you for what you're doing. Uh, there is a huge, huge amount of folks who are, are vying for customers uh, and investors. Uh, I'm curious, if one million Black folks decided uh, to open accounts with your institution, would that then also increase the opportunity for more capital for those who want to start their own businesses um, or who want to be able to take out a loan? Um, so how does that help? You know, if, if we invest in you, how does that help investing in our community? Okay. You start with when when you put money in the bank, you aren't investing in the bank. That is that is your money, which grows over time. So it, it so deposits in the bank are not an investment of a capital into the institution. It's a way of preserving and managing your money. It doesn't belong to anybody else. The bank has no right to that capital and cannot put your money at risk. And in fact, in FDIC insured institutions like One, One United Bank, the money is guaranteed by the government. Now, you brought another very important part about one of the things that makes One United Bank unique. It's, it's one of the only black-owned businesses in the country that can actually service a million people. Remember, banking is not like buying a hamburger. So you buy a hamburger, you go away. If, if we were fortunate enough to get you as a customer, we got you as a customer seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and you're going to be moving all over the United States, perhaps even the whole world, conducting transactions. So you have to have a customer care infrastructure that's capable of processing that kind of transaction volume and providing access to capital on a nationwide basis. And there's so many things built into the One United Bank business, including things like every Chase Manhattan ATM, uh, in addition to our 40,000 ATMs, can, can be accessed by, uh, by One United Bank customer for free. So the, so the, concept, the, the concept is to utilize technology to get access to capital. Banks, banks are debt players versus equity players. And, you know, I'm sure we understand the difference in that. So a bank, one of the principal ways banks make money is by lending. So, so we, we lend out, we have lent out billions of dollars uh, uh, of capital and largely and mostly to black black communities. I mean, one of the things we take great pride in is the number of black millionaires that we created. We, 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 we've been responsible for a lot of wealth creation in black America over the years and, and want to continue to do that. And so we, you know, we take a, you know, we, we take a different view on things. Like, for example, the PPP loans that you may remember uh, that early in the pandemic, the government was given out. Well, the government itself, they cite One United Bank because they always talk about, well, where, where did One United Bank's loans go? Well, our first loan went to a single mother of seven who drives Ubers. 
And the reason we did that, like most banks went to the biggest customers where they had the least amount of risk and the most work, is because, because building Black America is, is, is more than just a commitment to us, a way of life. It's a, it, 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 this is something that certainly, you know, my family's been involved in for generations, uh, going back to the earliest days of this country, and we, we're just continuing that legacy. Teresa? Kevin, one, thank you so much for um, opening up this online platform. Um, I'm located here in Philadelphia, where we had the first United Bank of Philadelphia um, to branch location with 13 ATMs. Um, I know, you know, this vision of opening this online digital bank just didn't come out the blue. So tell me about uh, your great-great-grandfather and his ties to Tulsa. Well, Charles Cohey Jr., they called him Chaz. He, uh, his father was also a great man, as was his, as was his father's father. Uh, but what's most notable about Charles Cohey is his role in negotiating getting the 40 acres and a mule. Uh, you know, as, as I know, all black Americans were, were promised 40 acres and a mule as compensation for, for the injustice that was done to us in slavery. Now, what Greenwood stands for more than anything else, in my view, is if, you, if they would have gave us the 40 acres and the mule, we wouldn't have any problems we had today. It's not we need anything for you or that you're smarter than us. You all just never gave us the resources. White America deprived, systematically deprived us of the opportunity for success. First, slavery ends. What do you do? You give us no money, no education. Instead, what do you do? Create laws and other obstacles to us being successful as, as a people. But Greece, Greenwood stands in, in stark contrast to that phenomenon. It's a, the Greenwood, Greenwood had two newspapers, it had theaters, it had banks, it had every kind of professional. Dollars circulated in Greenwood. 35 times. And that and, and, and it's through the circulation of dollars in a community of people of people working together to share their collective resources that creates a wealth in and of itself. And so so the idea is to take that model off that success. As we say, fast forward 100 years. That happened 100 years ago. Fast forward 100 years. Let's build a new Wall Street. We got technology. We have the experience. We have the will. We have the resources. Black America are black Americans are cultural leaders of the world, and if we can get a fair opportunity to effectively participate in society, for us to act in concert where the real benefit is. I mean, as you know, the whole social movement. Just think about it, okay? The incident down in Georgia where the young black man's running through a white neighborhood and gets killed by get killed by some vigilantes. That's nothing new. That has happened since we got here in the 1600s. But technology, through things like social media, brought justice or is bringing justice to that situation. Same thing with the situation with George Floyd up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, urban community, road police kills innocent black men. They, they thought that wasn't even a crime. But today's world, today's technology is allowing 
for ju for us to attain justice in those kind of situations. And, and this in America, it's changing America. It's doing what intellectuals would call perfecting our democracy. The whole dream of all men and women being created equal with the opportunity for liber liberty and justice for all becoming a reality. That's where we are, and now we got we got we got to get our money game tight. We got we got we 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 have to we have to learn the skill sets necessary to understand business problems, to understand legal problems, how to understand how they work together to create value and change and opportunity. All right, Kevin Cohey, One United Bank. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much uh, with your Greenwood debit card. Thank you. Thank you, man. You have to let me borrow that, that tracksuit there you got. Well, you know, uh, Astros playing game six tonight, so I got to represent uh, the hometown team. Uh, look yeah. for them beating Atlanta Braves and forcing the game seven. All right. All right, Good appreciate luck. it. Thanks Thank a lot. very much for having me on. All right, take care. All right, folks, got to go to a quick break. We'll be back uh, with this racist judge out of Alabama. Even white folks in Alabama said, he too racist for us. Roller Mark Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger. That's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. You really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision. An SUV built around you. All of you. Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where you going? Hi, I'm L.D. Barge. Hey, yo, Peace World. What's going on? It's the Love King of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Why? Well, a white Alabama judge lost his job for his racist and sexist remarks online and to staffers. All right, y'all. Trump supporter Randy Jinks is out of a job after ridiculous comments like asking a black staffer, did you sell drugs? when the staffer purchased a new car. Staffers accused him of using profane language and going on tirades. He read out a Black Lives Matter meme stating, you sons of bitches are going to need something to burn down after Trump gets reelected for a second term, sons of bitches. He also said George Floyd, quote, got what he deserved after being killed by ex-cop Derek Chauvin. Must be something, uh, Mustafa, when white folks in Alabama say, Damn, he too racist for us. <laughs> yeah, he took it. He took it way over the top. But you know, we laugh about it. But then we got to deal with the reality that this is a judge, <laughs> so you know his biases are playing out in his decision making, which impacts everyday people's lives. Making a decision, maybe if you're going to jail for ten years, twenty years, or thirty years. So I'm glad that uh, you know uh, folks actually woke up and said this person. He cannot play a role here in Alabama any longer. Um, <laughs> you know, Teresa, look, you know, this is a judge. Now the question is, are they going to review all cases? 
that would be the responsible thing to do. But who knows? I think, you know, sometimes they just think uh, it's enough that somebody just got fired without looking at the biasness that they did in their past that ultimately trumped up what was going on in the future. So, I mean, I hope they do their due diligence. But again, we don't know at this point. Michael. No, I mean, what Mustafa said is what concerns me the most. He obviously has these biases when he's on the bench, and who knows what kind of decisions he's made uh, relative to black defendants, to black companies, um, just to black folks or uh, people of color. It's just, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I agree with you. It's just great when white folks say enough is enough to somebody you know they're way over the top, and clearly he is. Uh, yeah, he was absolutely uh, over the top. All right, folks, so since Coca-Cola acquired Body Armor's sports drink brand, brand Kobe Bryant's estate uh, will bank a whopping $400 million. Coke paid $5.6 billion for the remaining 85% of the sports beverage company. In 2018, Coke originally bought a 15% stake in the Body Armor. And when 2014, Kobe bought 10% ownership of Body Armor for $6 million. And according to CBS News, the $5.6 billion purchase will net Bryant's estate at least $400 million. Atlanta-based Coca-Cola will manage the Body Armor brand as a separate business and continue to be based in New York. Uh, that, um, man, is uh, a, a huge deal. And that, that's what we talk about, how you create generational wealth, Mustafa. Uh, Kobe Bryant no longer with us, but certainly uh, his family. Uh, his children, his wife and his, his widow and his children, and, this, and clearly their children will benefit uh, from the kind of deals that he made when he was uh, alive. Strategic decision-making. That's why we have to continue to encourage our folks to understand the opportunities that exist around investing. And of course, you know, many of us may not have the same level of wealth that our brother uh, Kobe did. Right. But we can also begin to position ourselves. Teresa, that's what we're seeing. A lot more athletes today are not taking the, spon the sponsorship marketing dollars. They're going for the equity in deals that in things that their people are coming in the pitch to. It used to be, oh, he he here's a check to endorse. They're like, mm -mm, give me some equity. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, you know, we're we're living in a place when people are starting to understand their value, their position, and their role. And I think, you know, it's really incumbent on us to really continue this education about more of the early investment of the rollout and what it could potentially do. I mean, we can look at, you know, Kobe Bryant. We can also look at Jay-Z and his induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But Jay-Z also laid a lot of foundational investments that ultimately made other millionaires within this circle, which ultimately builds equity and um, generational wellness. So this is great news. It's, all, it's a different kind of deal, Michael. Again, you make the long play versus the short one. Absolutely. I mean, just look at his investment, $6 million, and you get $400 million. Um, and what was it, less than seven years? Um, you can't, or four, six years, something like that. You can't beat it. And yep. frankly, his kids, as you mentioned, his kids, his kids' kids, were going to be fine anyway because obviously he signed for hundreds of millions of dollars in his contracts. But now, you're, this is what white folks, this is what wealthy white folks do. Just because they're already rich, they want to be richer. And that's, that's the formula clearly Kobe Bryant um, set out for his family, and it worked out.
All right. Teresa, Michael, Mustafa, I so appreciate it. Thank you so very much for joining us uh, on today's show. Uh, folks, tomorrow I'll be broadcasting from Houston. We'll be there. Uh, and for the next three days, McDonald's is having their uh, gospel tour, so we're doing some work there. So look forward to being there. Of course, good luck to my Astros tonight. Game six of the World Series starts shortly. Uh, I can't wait to cheer us on uh, and to quiet a bunch of y'all Atlanta people who've been running your miles. All right, folks, don't forget to support us in what we do. Download the Black Star Network app with 779 downloads away from hitting 20,000. We want to hit 50,000 by December 31st. Apple uh, phone, uh, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, Xbox, a Samsung TV as well. And of course, you can also join our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, of course, uh, uh, of course, Cash App, uh, R Mark, Dollar Sign RM Unfiltered, PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered, Venmo is RM Unfiltered, Zell is rolling at rollingthismartin.com. Shout out to Antonio Norminke. Uh, first of all, let me go back here. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Uh, Andrea Swan, thank you so very much uh, for contributing. Let's see here. I got some other folks on here. Uh, let me go through here. Uh, Janae, uh, thank you so very much. Tommy Williams, Jacqueline Crowder. Uh, is it Yonatan, Brandon, Antonio? Uh, I want to thank uh, you as well. And so, again, I think I said earlier, said Norminke Holmes, again, Joanna Moore, Joe Clark, Shirley Williams. Folks, thanks a bunch. I'll see you guys tomorrow from H Town. Holla! to be smart. Roland Martin's doing this every day. Oh, no punches! Thank you, Roland Martin, for always giving voice to the issues. Look for Roland Martin in the whirlwind, to quote Marcus Garvey again. The video looks phenomenal, so I'm really excited to see it on my big screen. Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. I gotta defer to the brilliance of Dr. Carr and to the brilliance of the Black Star Network. I am rolling with rolling all the way. Honored to be on a show that you own, a black man owns the show. Folks, Black Star Network is here. I'm real um, revolutionary right now. Wow. Rolling was amazing on that. Hey, I love y'all. I can't commend you enough about this platform that you've created for us to be able to share who we are, what we're doing in the world, and the impact that we're having. Let's be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. You dig?
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 